Section fifty seven of the Life of Samuel Johnson, Volume One by James Boswell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. I was much pleased to find myself with Johnson at Greenwich, which he celebrates in his London as a favourite scene. I had the poem in my pocket and read the lines aloud with enthusiasm. On Thames's banks, in silent thought, we stood where Greenwich smiles upon the silver flood. Pleased with the seat which gave Eliza birth, we kneel and kiss the consecrated earth. Footnote. In the original, struck or pleased. End footnote. He remarked that the structure of Greenwich Hospital was too magnificent for a place of charity and that its parts were too much detached to make one great whole. Buchanan, he said, was a very fine poet, and observed that he was the first who complimented a lady by ascribing to her the different perfections of the heathen goddesses. Footnote. Epigram di duo in Elizabethae Angliae Reginae malone end a footnote but that johnston improved upon this by making his lady at the same time free from their defects he dwelt upon buchanan's elegant verses to mary queen of scots nympha caledonia etc and spoke with enthusiasm of the beauty of latin verse all the modern languages said he cannot furnish so melodious a line as pomosam resonare doces amarelida silvas footnote virgil eclogues book one nine five johnson when a boy turned the line thus and the wood rings with amaryllis name end of footnote a course of study anno domini seventeen sixty three afterwards he entered upon the business of the day which was to give me his advice as to a course of study and here i am to mention with much regret that my record of what he said is miserably scanty i recollect with admiration an animating blaze of eloquence which roused every intellectual power in me to the highest pitch but must have dazzled me so much that my memory could not preserve the substance of his discourse footnote boswell said of paoli's talk about great men i regret that the fire with which he spoke upon such occasions so dazzled me that I could not recollect his sayings so as to write them down when I retired from his presence. Corsica, page 197, My memory could not preserve the substance of his discourse, for the note which I find of it is no more than this. He ran over the grand scale of human knowledge, advised me to select some particular branch to excel in, but to acquire a little of every kind. The defect of my minutes will be fully supplied by a long letter upon the subject which he favoured me with after I had been some time at Utrecht, 
and which my readers will have the pleasure to peruse in its proper place nature and fleet street i type fifty four we walked in the evening in greenwich park he asked me i suppose by way of trying my disposition is not this very fine having no exquisite relish of the beauties of nature footnote, more passages than one in boswell's letters to temple show this absence of relish thus in seventeen seventy five he writes i perceive the dawnings of taste for the country page two and six and again i will force a taste for natural beauties page two and nine in a footnote having no exquisite relish of the beauties of nature and being more delighted with the busy hum of men footnote milton's l'allegro line one one eight in a footnote i answered yes sir but not equal to fleet street johnson you are right sir i am aware that many of my readers may censure my want of taste let me however shelter myself under the authority of a very fashionable baronet in the brilliant world who on his attention being called to the fragrance of a may evening in the country observed this may be very well but for my part i prefer the smell of a flambeau at the playhouse Footnote. my friend sir michael the fleming this gentleman with all his experience of sprightly and elegant life inherits with the beautiful family domain no inconsiderable share of that love of literature which distinguished his venerable grandfather the bishop of carlisle he one day observed to me of dr johnson in a felicity of phrase there is a blunt dignity about him on every occasion Bustle. wordsworth's lines to the baronet's daughter lady fleming might be applied to the father lives there a man whose sole delights are trivial pomp and city noise hardening a heart that loathes or slights what every natural heart enjoys wordsworth poems volume four page three three eight in a footnote we stayed so long at greenwich that our sail up the river in our return to london was by no means so pleasant as in the morning for the night air was so cold that it made me shiver i was the more sensible of it from having sat up all the night before recollecting and writing in my journal what i thought worthy of preservation an exertion which during the first part of my acquaintance with johnson i frequently made i remember having sat up four nights in one week without being much incommoded in the daytime johnson whose robust frame was not in the least affected by the cold scolded me as if my shivering had been a paltry effeminacy saying why do you shiver sir william scott of the commons footnote afterwards lord stole he was a member of doctors commons the college of civilians in london who practised in the ecclesiastical courts and the court of the admiralty 
See Boswell's Hebrides, August the 14th, 1773. Sir William Scott of the Commons told me that when he complained of a headache in the post-chase as they were travelling together to Scotland, Johnson treated him in the same manner. At your age, sir, I had no headache. It is not easy to make allowance for sensations in others which we ourselves have not at the time. We must all have experienced how very differently we are affected by the complaints of our neighbours when we are well and when we are ill. In full health we can scarcely believe that they suffer much, so faint is the image of pain upon our imagination. When softened by sickness, we readily sympathise with the sufferings of others. Affleck, Anno Domini, 1763 We concluded the day at the Turk's Head Coffee House very socially. He was pleased to listen to a particular account which I gave him of my family and of its hereditary estate as to the extent and population of which he asked questions and made calculations recommending at the same time a liberal kindness to the tenantry as people over whom the proprietor was placed by providence footnote he repeated this advice on the death of boswell's father september the seventh seventeen eighty two and a footnote he took delight in hearing my description of the romantic seat of my ancestors. I must be there, sir, said he, and we will live in the old castle. And if there is not a room of it remaining, we will build one. I was highly flattered, but could scarcely indulge a hope that Affleck would indeed be honoured by his presence and celebrated by a description, as it afterwards was in his journey to the Western Islands. Footnote. Johnson, Works, Volume 9, page 159, describes the sullen dignity of the old castle. See also Boswell's Hebrides, November the 4th, 1773, and a footnote. After we had again talked of my setting out for Holland, he said, I must see thee out of England. I will accompany you to Harwich. I could not find words to express what I felt upon this unexpected and very great mark of his affectionate regard. Next day, Sunday, July the 31st, I told him I had been that morning at a meeting of the people called Quakers, where I had heard a woman preach. Johnson. Sir, a woman's preaching is like a dog's walking on his hinder legs. It is not done well, but you are surprised to find it done at all. On Tuesday, August the 2nd, the day of my departure from London having been fixed for the 5th, Dr. Johnson did me the honour to pass a part of the morning with me at my chambers. He said that he always felt an inclination to do nothing. I observed that it was strange to think that the most indolent man in Britain had written the most laborious work, the English Dictionary. 
I mentioned an imprudent publication by a certain friend of his at an early period of life, and asked him if he thought it would hurt him. Footnote. Probably Burke's Vindication of Natural Society, published in 1756, when Burke was twenty-six. Johnson. No, sir, not much. It may perhaps be mentioned at an election. Tea with Miss Williams, ITAR 54 I had now made good my title to be a privileged man, and was carried by him in the evening to drink tea with Miss Williams, whom, though under the misfortune of having lost her sight, I found to be agreeable in conversation, for she had a variety of literature and expressed herself well. But her peculiar value was the intimacy in which she had long lived with Johnson, by which she was well acquainted with his habits and knew how to lead him on to talk. After tea he carried me to what he called his walk, which was a long narrow paved court in the neighbourhood overshadowed by some trees. There we sauntered a considerable time, and I complained to him that my love of London and of his company was such that I shrunk almost from the thought of going away even to travel, which is generally so much desired by young men. Footnote. Boswell wrote to Temple on July the 28th, 1763, my departure fills me with a kind of gloom that quite overshadows my mind. I could almost weep to think of leaving dear London and the calm retirement of the inner temple. This is very effeminate and very young, but I cannot help it. Letters of Boswell, page 46, end of footnote. He roused me by manly and spirited conversation. He advised me, when settled in any place abroad, to study with an eagerness after knowledge, and to apply to Greek an hour every day, and, when I was moving about, to read diligently the great book of mankind. Convocation, Anno Domini, 1763 On Wednesday, August the 3rd, we had our last social evening at the Turk's Head coffee-house, before my setting out for foreign parts. I had the misfortune, before we parted, to irritate him unintentionally. I mentioned to him how common it was in the world to tell absurd stories of him, and to ascribe to him very strange sayings. Johnson. What do they make me say, sir? Boswell. Why, sir, as an instance very strange indeed, laughing heartily as I spoke, David Hume told me that you said that you would stand before a battery of cannon to restore the convocation to its full powers. Little did I apprehend that he had actually said this, but I was soon convinced of my error, for with a determined look he thundered out, and would I not, sir? Shall the Presbyterian Kirk of Scotland have its General Assembly, and the Church of England be denied its convocation? 
he was walking up and down the room while i told him the anecdote but when he uttered this explosion of high church zeal he had come close to my chair and his eyes flashed with indignation footnote mrs piozzi says anecdotes page two nine seven that johnson's eyes were so wild so piercing and at times so fierce that fear was i believe the first emotion in the hearts of all his beholders End of footnote. i bowed to the storm and diverted the force of it by leading him to expatiate on the influence which religion derived from maintaining the church with great external respectability i must not omit to mention that he this year wrote the life of ascombe dagger and the dedication to the earl of shaftesbury dagger prefixed to the edition of that writer's english works published by mr bennett Footnote. johnson was in fact the editor of this work as appears from a letter of mr t davies to the reverend edmund bettesworth reverend sir i take the liberty to send you roger ascombe's works in english though mr bennett's name is in the title the editor was in reality mr johnson the author of the rambler who wrote the life of the author and added several notes mr johnson gave it to mr bennett for his advantage etc croker very likely davies exaggerated johnson's share in the book Bennett's edition was published not in 1763, but in 1761. End of footnote. End of section 57.